Hello again. This is Pastor John Edding. I am back with this sermon podcast after taking nearly a year off. Last year, you could say, I got bogged down in the season of Lent with all its busyness and stopped uploading my sermons. Then following the season of Lent, I just didn't pick it back up again and restart the sermon podcast. And then a non-productivity inertia took over, you could say. So with the encouragement of others, I would like to get this podcast ball rolling again. I apologize to my listeners who have been downloading and following faithfully the podcast up to that abrupt stop last year. Thank you for following and listening and for your patience with me. So here we are. I was thinking and pondering how to make a re-entry back with the help of others in the sermon podcast. Well, a new season of Lent is upon us this week with the observance of Ash Wednesday. What do you think of when you think of the season of Lent? Well, some might think that it is a season of giving something up, you know, fasting. I recently preached a sermon on Isaiah 58 entitled, The Fasting Which the Lord Requires. I thought it might be a good re-entry sermon to prepare us for the journey of Lent, a journey which takes us ultimately to the Easter joy of our Lord's resurrection and his victory over death. While the season of Lent for some might include fasting or going to midweek Lenten services, consider that above all, the seven weeks of Lent are devoted to reflection upon the suffering and death of Christ. But Lent is also a time to hear afresh the words of the Lord. As Jesus attested, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. John 6, verse 63. Please, if you haven't read the brief reading of Isaiah 58, verses 3 through 9a, please hit the pause button now and read it. Then come back and hit play for the sermon's introduction. If you have already read Isaiah 58, 3, verse 9a, then let's proceed. The fasting which the Lord requires. The Lord is present today in the words of absolution and this meal of body and blood. His presence, however, also creates in us the same discomfort with the suffering and injustice in the world which he experienced. We are called, summoned, and impelled to be the presence of Christ in these dark days. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for today is Isaiah chapter 58, verses 3 through 9a. And as we come to this word, in all likelihood somewhat unfamiliar, let's bow our hearts and heads in prayer. We ask you, O God, to illumine our hearts and minds, that we may see in this word not only the law that condemns, but through it the Christ who comes and fulfills in perfect obedience your every wish and satisfies your every requirement for our salvation. We ask you, Heavenly Father, not only to do those things 
But dear God, take us from this room and help us keep the fast as you would have it kept. In Jesus' name, amen. It happened again today. Just look at the news. Another person was found to be a hypocrite. Was it a socially conservative politician being arrested for soliciting a prostitute? Or was it a liberal activist whose multi-million dollar mansion belies their identification with the poor and oppressed? Was it another version of the Los Angeles politicians who played the race card repeatedly, but then were secretly taped uttering slurs about another racial minority? Or worse, was it a religious figure who was outed for some sexual or financial sin? Our world loves to expose a good hypocrite. I must admit it, I like seeing their hypocrisy exposed, no matter their ideological or personal bent. Through his prophet Isaiah, our Lord has his hypocrisy meter on high sensitivity. The people pretend they love God and seek him out, but the Lord points to the realities of their lives and reads another story there. Verse 3, Why have we fasted and you see it not? This is a quote from the people. This is a lament, a prayer from the people to God. Why do we fast and you don't see? In a sense, this gets us right to the heart of the problem. The people are doing outward acts to be seen by God, assuming then that God will receive this and reward them for their outward acts of piety. So let me rephrase the people's complaint this way. So, do we fast for nothing? Fasting means to humble or to afflict the soul. Only one day of fasting in the Old Testament was commanded, and that, and that was the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was a day of forgiveness and restoration, and in like manner, as the people fast on the Day of Atonement, then they are restored. They are forgiven and set free for a purpose. What is that purpose? They are empowered then to do that for others in the community. And that is exactly what is not happening in our text. So on the day of your fasting, God, res God responds, You do whatever you want. <laughs> you exploit your workers. You have placed yokes on them. Yokes are only used on animals. This is how the Egyptians treated the Israelites. They treated the Israelites like animals. So the privileged people of the community in Isaiah 58 are treating the underprivileged people like animals. But all the while they are saying, we are fasting. We are humbling ourselves. The hypocrisy of God's Old Testament church was off the charts. Hypocrisy is a major turnoff for people, especially for the younger generation toward the church. Uh, the argument goes something like this, I'm not a Christian because the church is full of hypocrites. In my late 20s and being quite zealous to defend the faith, 
I studied apologetics. Apologetics is the defense of the faith. I rehearsed what I would say to the next person, be it an atheist or agnostic person, that would use this as an excuse to reject Christ as their Savior. And it went something like this. Oh yeah? Well, the word hypocrite is a Greek word that means an actor. A person who says they are a Christian, but is really a person who says they are a Christian, but is really a hypocrite, is only acting like a Christian. They are not true Christians. The hypocrite has more in common with the atheist, like yourself, than they do a real Christian. Ha! Gotcha! And I had a box of tissue ready at hand for their tears. They would then repent and believe in Jesus and be saved. (laughs) In my zealous dreams, I never actually used this response. And maybe that was a good thing. There are two problems with this approach. First, the real key to apologetics is showing love to that person while not ignoring the truth and not overwhelming them with your superior logic and reasoning skills. Paul tells us to speak the truth, but speak the truth in love. Secondly, later I realized I was making the claim in my apologetic defense, the claim that I had never been hypocritical. Well, I don't think I can make that claim. Can you? I have thought and acted more times as the self-righteous elder brother in the story of the prodigal son, uh, the story of the self-indulgent, naughty prodigal son. (laughs) We are like Paul who lamented, the things I, I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do it. What a wretched man that I am. Who will save me? A pastor once had a woman, woman tell him that she was looking for a church that wasn't full of hypocrites. He, re- he recommended that when she found it, that she not join it. She would ruin it. Ouch. <laughs> but true, we, if we found the perfect church, we probably shouldn't join it. We would ruin its perfection. <laughs> Isaiah 58 is a corrective for all of God's people. It is a corrective for the congregation and its day-to-day piety. The same tendency that Isaiah displays in this text is the same tendency that lives in each of our hearts. You know, to get things technically right and to say with a vaunted spirit, I did that, and I did it correctly. And God says, it's like filthy rags. They fast, which is a good thing. God commands fast. He likes fasting. He likes Sabbath resting. He likes ceasing from activity, six days' worth of activity. He likes for us to stop and be still, so that, as Martin Luther knew from Psalm 46, we may know who God is. And not only knowing who who God is, knowing that he is God. Fasts are good, and fasts from food are helpful as well. They had, apparently in Isaiah 58, this down to us science. There was no problem with them in their technical fulfillment of what God wanted them to do. They stopped eating. The problem is that they decided to have as a side dish to their fast. There were fists 
being thrown. Not unlike you, uh, what was happening to the congregation that Paul addressed in 1 Corinthians. There was liturgical piety. There was technical fulfillment of religious practice. But the accompanying side dishes to the meal of fasting was seriously problematic. You see, the people of God forgot that fasting is best when fasting is done forward, not fasting from. It is not about ceasing from food. It is about being a springboard into mercy and justice. And we might ask ourselves, as God's people, this, this question. All of those acts piously experienced in the church, how will they springboard people into the mercy and justice that God demands? And when all those acts piously experienced at church propels us to acts of mercy and justice, then something remarkable happens. In verse 8, then God says, then through the prophet, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And then verse 9a gives us the good news. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer, Here am I. Verse 9, in verse 9, there is much irony. The Lord will say, Here I am. This is so ironic, because only the servant will say to the master, Here I am. For example, this is what Isaiah says in chapter 6, verse 8. Here I am. But the Lord takes the form of a servant in our reading. In other words, he becomes accessible and he says to the community, here I am. So the only way that the community is going to be restored from treating others like animals is through the servant. And Jesus himself identifies himself as the anointed servant. He does this in Luke chapter 4 at the beginning of his ministry. He, when he's reading the Isaiah scroll and, and uh, Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3 to be exact. Um, and he said, he reads the scroll and he says, these words are fulfilled in me. And he is the anointed servant Messiah to heal the brokenhearted, to say to captives, freedom, jubilee to open the eyes of the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The answer to the social economic oppression going on here in our reading is that Christ our Lord does what we are unable to do. And he himself says, here I am. And God wants to be our servant. In the fourth servant song in Isaiah 53, the, the servant is treated like an animal, like a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The servant has solidarity to the people who are being treated like animals. He was treated like an animal, but yet overcame it. He creates in us a desire to live this kind of life. A life of humility and care for people in our community, starting with our own family and in our own lives. You and I must be careful with our delight in the unmasking of the hypocrisy of our neighbor and not only because you and I most likely share in their vices in some way and have our own hypocrisy, 
But because such delight turns quickly to cynicism and despair of any good, God calls Isaiah's people and us to lives which live in mercy, kindness, generosity, and care for our fellow human being. He does so because he has put just such a love in our hearts. It is possible because God has shown his light, Jesus, in our hearts. Our gloom, our worst days, shines with his forgiveness. He has died and risen again for us because we are hypocritical sinners and need just such a Savior. And now we can put away the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness. God gave us his mercy and grace for, for just such a reason, that we will be the light which this world desperately needs. This takes faith. Trust in Jesus. He will help you. And how will he help you? Well, he shows up. He forgives you. He empowers you. Jesus is the servant that Isaiah foretold. He shows up to serve you. Call upon him. Did he not say, Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer, Here I am. A pastor wrote, My father lived by the belief that our family should never go to sleep angry. My dad and I had a wonderful relationship, but it was not devoid of arguments, especially when I was a teenager. I remember a particularly bad argument when both of us went to bed angry. The quarrel was clearly my fault, and I thought that if I held out long enough before I apologized and waited for my dad to fall asleep, then I could tell him the next morning that I had been willing to work things out, but that he had already fallen asleep. Glancing at the alarm clock, I saw it was two o'clock in the morning, Assured that my dad was asleep, I quietly called, Dad? Much to my amazement came the quick response, Yes, son? My father loved me so much that he stayed awake to make sure that we would not go to sleep angry at each other, but would instead begin the new day in forgiveness and love. And when I called on my father, he heard my voice and answered me, Here I am. So worship God, fast in a way that springboards you to show up for the needs of others, starting with your own family. Call upon God to help you with this. God always stands ready to answer the call of his repentant children. Here I am. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.